This is the First Emmanuel Lutheran Church Podcast. For more information about us, who we are, or how to get connected, check us out online at filministries.org. All right, we're going to look at Psalm 126 this evening, and before we do that, we're going to pray. Oh, enter in, Holy Spirit, into our hearts and minds. Guide us and direct us as we walk through the Psalms of Ascent, as we journey in this world as your people continue to strengthen us with word and sacrament. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, here's my first question. What causes you the most joy? Rain. Joel, who's tending the farm, says rain, as I understand we're in what's called an extreme drought. Yeah, we are up at the. Got a little. We got a little ways to go. A little ways to go. We were at the 22 hours at the cabin this Sunday, and we had just severe storms, rain and rain and rain, and I was just praying it would go south. Didn't get that. Got got to Green Bay, and that was it. Some days there's a good chance of rain. Yeah. In the forecast. Good boy, we need it. You know, it was it was wet. It was very interesting. Yeah. All right. What else causes you joy? Grandkids. Grandkids. That was the first thing that was said this morning. Grandchildren causes joy. Nobody's nobody said children. They went right to grandchildren. Isn't that amazing? And if I knew grandchildren were so much fun, I would have just skipped children and gone right to grandchildren. Yeah. Oh my goodness, Larry. Larry says, my wife, God bless you, Larry. That's good. You'll, um, Have you had supper yet? Yeah, extra dessert for Larry. That's good. You're a smart man. Wow. What else? Anyone else? What causes you joy? When our whole family can get together. Man, when the, time. when the family's together at one time, right? Rather than in, in shifts. Yeah, when the whole family's together, that's, that's a joyous time. Oh, it, it, because uh, it's always kind of a hassle getting the lessons prepared, getting the snack out, and just yeah. picking the house up and getting it ready. But yeah. you know, it's so worth it because after, when everyone is there and we're we're winding up, I'm just filled full of joy. Isn't that it's nice? Yeah, and so is everyone else. Yeah, yeah. Filled with joy. Give me your joy moment. Anyone else? A schnitzel at the beer stuba. Man, I just, someone, I just had someone text me just now. Here, do you want to go to the beer stuba? I do now. What, was that you, Wally, that texted me? I'm not quite sure. I got to take a look, see who that was. Yeah, uh, a little schnitzel. As long as there's no schnauzer in the schnitzel, we're okay. Yeah. Anyone else? What causes you joy? Yeah. Health, yeah. So you don't bang your leg on the table yeah. again, right? Yeah. Yeah. That would be called coordination. Coordination, yeah. As as my friend would always say, it's a good thing we're not saved by grace or you'd be out. Yeah. All right, so the progression, we started with repentance in Psalm 120. 
And then we went to focus in 21. 22 was worship. 123, service. 124, help. 125, security. 126 is? Anyone? It's joy. Yeah, it's gonna, it, this one's going to be about joy. We're about halfway through the Psalms of Ascent. And the, and the word joy is brought up. Can you imagine if you are making your journey like from Nazareth, you're 70 miles away. And you've got to, 70 miles is not a big deal for us today, right? Because you can jump in the, in the SUV and be in Chicago in what, hour and 15 minutes or something like that? 70 miles isn't bad. 70 miles in the day of the psalmist that's a long journey. That's a trek. I mean, how many of you have done in the car a journey of more than 700 miles with kids when they were little? Anybody? Oh, yeah. That's a joyful time, isn't it? It only takes about 200 miles before the car smells like feet and Fritos. And then he's, he's on my side. He's touching me. She's looking at me. Are we there yet? When are we going to stop? I'm hungry. I don't want to eat there. I, gotta go to the bathroom. I have to go to the bathroom. We just went. Well, I didn't have to go then. It's, it's a challenge. So imagine making this journey of 70 miles. And right in the middle of the Psalms of Ascent, you're reminded about being joyful. I was going to play for you a clip from the movie Family Vacation with Chevy Chase. Just a delightful movie. And the part that I was going to give you, Chevy Chase and his family had Aunt Edna in the car, if you remember that sweet, charming. Imogene Coca uh, played an ideal part, one of her last parts. And she died, if you remember, and they tied her to the <laughs> they tied her to the top of the car and they dropped her off at some relative's house and said a prayer over and got in the car and they're leaving. And as they're going, it's nighttime and they've, they've been through so much. And the wife says to Clark Griswold, you know, Clark, this has been a lot. You know, Aunt Edna died. We just dumped her in the middle of the night in the backyard. Wait till the cousin comes home. This is gonna be a mess. Maybe we should just go home. And Clark, says, what? Oh, and the son speaks up. He says, you know, Dad, I think Mom's right. This has just been really long and hard. Let's just go home. And the daughter chimes in. I, you know, I agree. Look, we could do this next year. And Clark says, no, we are going to have fun. I was going to play the clip for you. There are so many F words in that clip. It didn't work well. But he, you know, you are going to have fun. Can you really mandate someone to be joyful? You really can't, can you? So we're going to talk about joy today. And, and I think Jesus is all about joy. There's a lot of people who get this image of Christians as being joyless. If you've seen Christians portrayed on sitcoms or movies, they're always, well, let's do it. How are they portrayed? Very rigid people, aren't they? Yes, and they're very judgmental people. And their, their morals are from 
500 years ago. And this is how they're portrayed. And Jesus was a very joyful person. In John chapter 2, the very first miracle of Jesus, do you remember what that was? Water to wine. He was at a wedding. They ran out of wine, which was a social pofaw. Uh, it would have been, people would have remembered that couple's wedding. Oh, do you remember when, when Sandy and Bill got married? Yeah, they, they ran out of wine. Oh, embarrassing, horrible. But that wedding was remembered for something different. Do you remember the wine we had at that wedding? My goodness, it was the best. And it wasn't served at the beginning. It was served at the end. And maybe word got out that it was this, Jesus, this miracle worker, is the guy who did it. I'm going to ask you, have you ever been to a wedding where you would mention the name of the bride and groom? Oh, Sandy and Bill. And someone says, oh boy, I remember that wedding. Remember what happened there? Anybody have a story? Are you serious? Not a fist fight, but a big yeah. argument. <laughs> <laughs> Who was going to buy the next round, maybe? <laughs> so there's a big argument. Here, this poor bride and groom are sponsoring this beautiful reception, and they go wacky kanaki. Yeah. Anyone else? Anything you can remember? Went to a wedding once. Really? Oh, man. I, you know, I got to tell you, probably the toughest wedding reception I was... I'll give you my grandma and grandpa's story first. Grandma and grandpa were invited to the wedding of, of their friend's daughter. And they sat in that wedding and the bride came down and grandma looked at grandpa and said, I have no idea who that is. We're in the wrong church. <laughs> and she said, you just can't get up and leave. So we sat through that whole thing. I said, Grandma, did you get to the reception? She said, no, we got to the right one on that one. Um, no, I was at, I, I, I did a wedding years and years ago. And um, we're sitting at the table with like the parents of the bride. And uh, the best man got up and said um, the speech. It was his brother got married and he says, this is his speech. He said, I was in my hotel room and I found this GD Bible. And he looks at me and says, and you know what, Randy baby? I found out that the effing bride has to obey the husband. It's the best day of his life right now. And Diane looked at me and said, are we going? I said, if you look at the mother, she's already so embarrassed. That we're going to stay here for her. Yeah. So that, that is the wedding that I've done 350 weddings, and that's one that stands out for me. My goodness, it was. I thought maybe that was God saying, that stands out for me too. <laughs> My goodness, yeah. Our wedding, when people say, oh, Randy and Diane got married, and the answer, the, the comment is always, it was 95 degrees and they had us stuck in that little church with no air conditioning and it was like a can of sardines. 95 at 5 o'clock in the evening. All right. So what we're going to find out here is that joy is a characteristic of, of Christian community and the Christian journey. And, and that joy, joy is a choice. Joy is a choice for those who follow Jesus.
All right, are you ready, Psalm 126? Let's read responsively. I got that printed for you. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. And the Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negeb. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. All right. Obviously, this is, this is a song about, about joy. So, what is joy? A little conversation about joy. Joy is one of the fruits of the Spirit. A fruit is something that naturally comes out of a tree, correct? So, we, when we grow and blossom and flourish, we produce, through the gift of faith, um, certain fruits. So, here's what Galatians 5, and 23 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Joy comes number two. Now, this isn't, <laughs> these fruits aren't listed like, well, number one, love is more important than number two, joy. But it's interesting that it starts with love and moves to joy. Because when you are loved and when you love in turn, the natural result is joy. And I think this is what the psalmist is trying to tell us, is that following the Lord, the natural result of following the Lord is joy. So if we looked at our culture, and not our, any culture of any time, the pursuit of joy is found in the abundance of the things of the world. And that's because the culture confuses joy with happiness. There's a huge difference. Happiness is about what goes on around us. Joy goes on within us. Happiness is, happiness is conditional. It depends on the condition of what's going on. Joy is unconditional. No matter what's going on, Christian joy is within us. You can be unhappy and joyful. We'll get to that. So our culture really is, looks for a happiness that's the product of, of abundance, of, of things. So when we find Jesus entering into a certain village, he's met by a rich young ruler who asks him a really strange question. What must I do to inherit eternal life. Do you, do you hear any irony in that? What must, I do? what must I do to inherit? You don't do anything to inherit. You exist, right? So usually we, we in our will or our trust, you know, we leave our things to the, the people that we produced. What did they do? Nothing. 
they sucked the social life out of us when we were younger. They spent our money. They give us grief. And we left them everything. Is anybody warm in here? I'm going to walk over here and turn the air on. All you people have to tell me to turn it off. All right. Nobody complain that you're too cold now. All right. So inheriting is something that's given to us. Doing is something we've earned. What must I do to inherit eternal life? It's just a nonsensical question. Well, Jesus answers it anyway, and he knows where this guy's coming from. You know, and he starts listing commandments, right? Make sure you, you follow the commandments. Oh, I've done all that. Even since I was a youth, he adds that because kids weren't expected to do that. But I'm so good, I did it since I was a kid. And then Jesus says, yeah, that's good. And then Jesus pulls that Columbo on him. Remember Columbo when the guy thought that he was getting away with it? And then Columbo would always say, oh, one more thing. Oh, then you knew it was a case closed. Columbo had the guy, right? Jesus says, oh, one more thing. Take all you have, sell it, give the money to the poor, and then come follow me. So his deal was he was trying to be happy with the things he acquired but obviously there wasn't any joy. We're going to find out that joy looks forward. All right. Joy is not a requirement. It is a result. So in that, that movie, Family Vacation, when Clark Griswold says, every single one of you are going to have a good time. You're going to be so happy. We're going to have to try to wipe the smile off your face. Can you mandate joy? You cannot mandate joy. It's not a requirement to become a Christian. It's the result of being a Christian. Joy cannot be purchased. It can't be commanded. It can't be arranged. Joy is not a burst of good feelings. That's happiness. Is it okay for a Christian to be happy? Yeah. When you bought that new car, were you happy? It smelled good. Right, and it was clean, and, and, it, and it drove so nice. And that, is there anything wrong with that? It, there's, not, there's not a thing wrong with that. Is it temporal? It is, because pretty soon, the car doesn't smell as pretty. And then there's the, the payments that come with it. And it's, oh my goodness, and then it's getting older. And then there's someone who left their grocery cart skittered down the parking lot and across the side of your car, and they never left a note. It's the same person who hit my car in the parking lot and never left a note here. At your, that's a whole different story. So a, faith is not a prerequisite of faith. It is a result of faith. God doesn't say, I want to wait for you to be joyful. And then I'm going to give you faith. No, I'm going to give you faith. And boy, are, are you going to be filled with joy. Yeah. So what is Christian joy? It's not living 
I got this from Eugene Peterson. This was a great line. Joy is not living under the dictatorship of your needs, wants, and desires. The dictatorship. Is that amazing? A dictator is, is what? We don't like dictators in our country. It's someone who's got total control over you. They tell you what to do. And if you follow them, you'll be safe. If not, you got trouble. Go ahead. Christian joy. Yeah, Christian joy is, and I've expanded it a little. It's um, not living under the dictatorship of our needs, our wants, and desires. Yeah. It's not living under the dictatorship of our needs, our wants, or our desires. Yes, isn't that amazing? Yeah, to our selfish self. Have you ever thought of it that way? Is it okay to have needs and wants and desires? It's fine. It's okay. It's just that we can't allow those to become our God. So the Ten Commandments are kind of neat. And we think of the Ten Commandments in a linear way because we're Western people. So there's commandment one, don't have any other gods, and then don't misuse God's name and make sure you worship. And then you get into the, the commandments that deal with our relationship with one another, and that's honoring our parents, and that we shouldn't kill, or we should be um, sexually pure, and we shouldn't steal, or we shouldn't uh, abuse the reputation of other people, and we shouldn't covet. The Ten Commandments are, are designed to be cyclical. Think of it going in a clock. You start with number one, no other gods, right? And make sure that you don't have any other gods that you respect God's name and you worship him. And when you do that, then you can love other people. You've got to start with your parents. And that you don't kill, but rather you uphold other people's lives and then there's the sexual component and don't steal their property, don't steal their reputation. When you get to 9 and 10, it's about what? Coveting. And when you covet something, it becomes your God, and that's commandment number one. So it keeps going around. So what we've got here is the psalmist reminding us in this whole uh, psalm about joy is that we got to live under the right God. When you live under the right God, you're going to be filled with joy. If you live under the wrong God, you will, you will not be joyful. You might be happy every once in a while. You'll never be joyful. So Christian joy is also living under a generous God who gives rather than living under our ego that grabs. That's another Eugene Peterson. So we live under a gracious God who gives rather than living under our egos that always look to grab. So where the world is looking for material abundance, the Christian looks for spiritual abundance. We do want abundance. It's just that we want the spiritual and not the material. It is not wrong to have material things. It's wrong to think that they are going to produce a joy that is never ending. So my little last bullet there, Christian joy is a consequence. 
It is the natural result of living in Christ and knowing he uses all things for good. Any thoughts, comments, questions on that? Sure, that I can do. Um, Christian joy is a, a, a consequence. It's the natural result of living in Christ who uses all things for good. So happiness is all about good times. Right? Nobody ever says, I lost my job. Boy, Am I happy? I got a bad report from the doctor. I'm a happy guy. We're not happy. But it doesn't have to rob my joy that I have in Jesus. Okay, you ready for the psalm? Look at there. 29 minutes later and we're going to get into verse 1. It's an amazing class. And we're going to do verse 1 and 2 together. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. And they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. So here's what I'd like you to do on your paper. Underline or circle or whatever you do, the word when. It's the very first word, when. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion... We were, highlight or circle or whatever, the word were. We were like those who dream. Verse 2. Then our mouth was, circle it, highlight it, was filled with laughter. And our tongue was shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord, underline or circle the word has. So those words that you circled or highlighted or underlined. What do you notice about those words? They're all past tense. They all look in the rear view mirror. Joy is about the past. So when, the, when these people are, are speaking this and singing this on their way to Jerusalem, boy, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion... They're thinking about all the times that God came and assisted them and helped them. And it might be the exodus. Boy, we were in bondage to the Egyptians and God came and rescued us. That was amazing. It might be the Babylonian captivity. Boy, the Babylonians came. Nebuchadnezzar had us. And then we were able to go back again. It might be David beating Goliath and the whole Philistine army. But they looked back on evidences of God's grace and God's mercy and God's strength and God's redemption. And they can look back and say, boy, we had some challenges and we made it through. So joy builds on the past. Even when our prayer isn't answered the way that we wanted it answered, we still have joy. So these people are looking back at all of these miracles, right? Oh, he parted the Red Sea. You know, this little kid with a slingshot whacked that big giant right in the noggin, took him out. 
here's something else I want you to look at. Verse 1, I don't know, highlight it or circle it or whatever. Fortunes. And the word dream. The next line, the word laughter. And right after that, shouts of joy. So the psalmist provides this image. Go back. These people weren't even alive during the Exodus, but they, they know they're part of it through their heritage because they're the chosen people. They continue to be a part of it. So the, the fortunes were restored. We were a broken people. We've been put back together. We were like those who dream. Have you ever had a good dream and you woke up and said, oh, dang it, I wish I could go back to sleep and pick that up again. Have you ever had one of those? I did. Man, I remembered when I was a kid, my grandpa died when I was 12. And he was just this huge baseball fan, and we go to ball games together. And I remember it was just a few months after he, he died that I had this dream. We were down in his basement. He had the coolest basement. He had all this baseball memorabilia. He was a semi-pro ball player, and he was good friends with Happy Felch, who played for the 1919 Chicago White Sox and was kicked out of baseball. Um, and I had this dream that we were down in, in his basement and he came walking down the stairs. Grandpa, I thought you were dead. No, I was just gone for a while. I had to go away, but I'm back. And, that was it. and when I woke up, I was just so saddened that the dream came to him. My grandpa would be 121 today. He would not move as quickly as he did. Yeah. So th th this is the idea of dream. We, we dream. When we dream, when people say, oh, dreams, there's nightmares and there's dreams. These are dreams. Dreams are always of good fortune, are always very positive. And then there's laughter. Laughter is amazing, isn't it? When we laugh, there's a sign of confidence, isn't it? There's a sign of confidence when I can only imagine the Israelites as they're walking through the two walls of water on dry ground as they go through the Red Sea, leaving bondage, going into the wilderness. I can only imagine the laughter. It's confidence. When you lack confidence, you giggle. Have you ever noticed that? Giggling is a lack of confidence. Laughter is, is a, a platform of confidence. Yes, we made it. It's like, hey, you want to walk through this wall of water? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> no, yeah, we're going to go. We're, we're out of here. We're gone. So verse, verses 1 and 2 are about looking back. Why are we going to worship this God? Because we're looking back. This is a God who's always been there for us. He's always rescued us. And, and my goodness, have you ever been in a really crummy situation and you looked back and said, it's worked before? Michael Jordan, arguably, is considered the best basketball player that ever played in the NBA. Some say maybe not. When, when, it, when they needed a last shot, the other team knew exactly what was going to happen. They knew who was going to get the ball. 
why do they keep giving this guy the ball? Because he could do it. He had a track record. It could be done. My Brewer fans, Brewer's up by two runs. It's the last inning. Who are you bringing in from the bullpen? The guy with the long hair. Hater. Hater. Why? Because he's done it 17 times this year, and he's saved every game. We've got confidence in this guy. He's going to get it done. This is how we look at God. He's going to get it done. He may not always get it done the way I want it done, but the good news is he will always get it done the way he needs to get it done. That's the joy for me. All right, verse 3. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. Circle the word are. We are glad. What do you notice about that word? It is the present. It is the now. When we look in the past and see everything that God has done for us, we can stand in the present and say, I'm okay. I'm glad. I'm glad that I have a God that got all that done. I'm glad that he's still my God. I'm glad that he's still powerful. Glad is like another word for joy, isn't it? I'm, I, the Lord has done great things for us. And we're glad. And it's corporate. It's not just I'm glad. We are glad. Why? We are glad because the Lord is our Lord, and we are His people. How much time do we think about the present? Have you ever given that a thought? The present is very short, isn't it? Whoops, there it is, it's gone. It's, I mean, think about it. When we got here 37 minutes ago, that's the past. We leave in about 20 minutes, that's the future. Here we are. We spend so much time longing for the past and hoping for the future that we forget the present. Have you noticed that? We need to live in the now. We need to live in the present. Remember the good old days? You know the people that lived in the good old days, you know what they used to say? Remember the good old days? Yeah. Now, how many, have you heard that? Oh, I remember when gas was 25 cents a gallon. So do I. <laughs> I pumped gas at 25 cents a gallon, yeah. I remember back when kids were, they honored their parents. I'm just talking to our mail lady. The mail lady at my house delivered mail here. I said, what are you doing here? And she said, we can't get anyone to work. I said, really? Yeah, we've had a couple of people now work for two days and they said, this is way too hard. And, and they left. And she said, are you ready for this? I love this, this gal. Isn't she wonderful? She's our mail lady. I just love her. And she said, remember when people would work? <laughs> and I said, you know, I do. Unlike you and I who are standing here talking right now. <laughs> yeah, remember when. Remember when. And it's okay to remember when. But we remember in order that we can handle the future or the present, right? Remembering isn't about wanting to go back to the past. It's about allowing the past to bolster our present. 
God has been there before. He hasn't changed. He's going to be there today. Good? So this psalm looks to the past. It looks to the present. Guess what? It looks to the future. Verses 4, 5, and 6. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negeb. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Right? Did you see the word shall? Hasn't happened yet. Isn't happening now. But it's going to. It's a psalm of confidence. And when you have confidence in God, you have joy. So it is about a joy in the future. Joy builds on the past while it focuses on the future. So there's two images in these verses. And the first, restore our fortunes, O Lord. How? Like streams in the Negeb. What is the Negeb? Well, the Negeb is that portion of Israel that's extremely deserted and desert. It's hot, it's dry, but when it rains, my goodness, the rain rushes through. If you go to the southwest part of our nation, which is very desert, it's dry. Um, they say, boy, if you get there in the spring, after there's a little bit of moisture, it's beautiful. Right? The cacti have all those that beautiful blossoms and flowering. And it, it's restored. The rains that came into the Negeb restored the land. And, and the prayer is this. You restored us in the past, Lord. Please restore us in the future. Continue to be there for us. So joy borrows from the future. Um, if you go down to Romans, I, I wrote down Romans 5 on the bottom. It's verses 3, 4, 5, and then 11. And not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. We're going to stop right there for now. Today, we don't necessarily use the word hope as it was intended in the Bible. Um, I don't know, today, the hope, hope is kind of like, I'd like it to happen, but the chances are it won't. Okay? Packers are down by 28 points. There's seven seconds left. I hope they can win the game. It's not going to happen, Right? It's the little girl who lives on the fourth floor in a one-bedroom apartment, and she hopes she gets a pony for Christmas. It's not going to happen. Biblical hope is certainty. Biblical hope is, I know this is going to happen. I, I, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is going to get this done, that God is going to handle this for me. I don't have to worry about it. I look in the past. And it looked hopeless, but it got done. Now I get to look to the future. So the joy borrows from the future. Joy and hope and peace are the holy trio of the Christian. 
joy and hope and peace really are, are the hallmark of the Christian life. So here comes the second image of joy in these, in these verses. The one who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. So does this mean if you are a farmer and you sow your seed while you're crying, you will automatically have a good crop? Joel, I'm guessing that's not true. That is not true. So, so what is this? Who sows the seed while they're weeping? What does this have to do? We normally weep in times of pain and suffering and sorrow, right? If we take our pain and our suffering and our sorrow, if we take the seeds of pain and suffering and sorrow and we plant them in Jesus Christ, he can use all of them for good. And we will reap a harvest of joy, even if we don't get what we really wanted to get. It's the person who said to me, you know, I prayed for my spouse to get better. The cancer just wouldn't go away and I'm, it hurts me. But, what's the but? I know my spouse is in heaven. I know my spouse is in heaven. I hurt today, but I sowed my pain in Jesus who has now allowed me to reap the joy of knowing that I'm going to be together with that person in heaven. So St. Paul could say at the end of Romans 8 that nothing can separate me from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Right? That's the joy that we have. So we sow, we sow the seeds of suffering in the God of hope. I, I mentioned this last week, you know, suffering and pain and troubles and challenges can cause us to be either bitter or better. Remember we talked about that? And, and bitter is not a joyful attitude. Better is joyful. Bitter is always about me. You didn't do what I wanted, God. I prayed to that God and he didn't answer my prayer. Oh, by the way, he did answer your prayer. Just not the way you wanted it. Better is the God of Easter who's conquered everything. See, when the Hebrews look back on, on all the wonderful victories that God gave, like the Exodus and David over Goliath and the Babylonian captivity, we look back on the cross, the ultimate victory. And we look back on the cross and we say, if he could take care of that, he can take care of anything. If he could bring, if he could bring something good out of that awful crucifixion, then whatever I'm going through, he can, he can use it. I know he can use it. I may not ever understand it this side of heaven, but he can do it. So Jesus, the writer of the Hebrews says this, for the joy set before him, uh, Jesus endured the shame, right? He endured the cross. Joy is not the exclusion of pain and suffering. You, you and I can still have joy in the midst of pain and suffering. We may not be happy, 
but we still can be joyful. I don't think Jesus said, yes, I've just been waiting for this time to be nailed to a cross. Oh, I just couldn't wait to be tortured. I couldn't wait for the Heavenly Father to separate himself from me. This is going to be so much fun. I don't think that happened. As a matter of fact, I know it didn't because he's in the Garden of Gethsemane saying, if this cup can be taken away from me, please, if there's a plan B, if not, though, I'm okay. I'm, I'm on it. For the joy that was set in the future, he endured the cross. We have crosses that we endure so joy can come in the future. Okay, there's got to be a comment on this. Larry. To me, kind of interesting that as Jesus thought about that, he thought of the joy of all the Christians that were reborn. Yeah. But then I think it's sadness to know how many people would reject. So along with joy, there was a sadness in his heart too, I'm sure. You know, that's a really, really good point. And Larry's point is Jesus is dying. There's a joy for those who would embrace him. But there had to be a bit of a sadness for those who wouldn't. Right? So the joy for Jesus was that he did it for everybody. He did it for everyone. I mean, think about it. You look at the crucifixion scene, and we hear that the Romans made fun of him, the Jewish leaders made fun of him, the disciples ran away from him, the criminals abused him. And at the end, there's only really two people that make a confession of faith. One is one of the criminals, and the other's a pagan, a Roman soldier. And yet he found his joy in that. So we, do we have the privilege of looking, looking ahead. Joy borrows from the future. And my next point here is enjoyment is not an escape from boredom, but in engaging in God's work. We live in this entertainment-driven society. We live in an entertainment-driven culture. Last time my dad and I went to a ball game, we walked, we walked through, we had club seats, really nice seats. And you walk through, and you walk up, up in the club section, there's a bar with a TV on, and there's people all around it. And my dad looks at me and says, why did they buy a ticket? They can't even see the game. They're nowhere near the game. They could, they could have done this at Joe's Bar and Grill or at their own home. And then we sat down and, boo, fireworks. Why do, why do we have to have fireworks and why do these hot dogs run around all the time why is there a bouncy house why is, and and i said you know dad that those are good questions because today people don't go to see baseball they go to be entertained and his comment was boy am i glad your grandpa's not here to see this yeah we live in this entertainment culture because entertainment makes us happy but how long does it last have you ever, and I'm not saying vacations are wrong. I love going up to the cottage. It is like one of the places where I unwind. I'm so happy when my phone doesn't work. I sit out on the pier with a cigar and a scotch and watch the sun either go up or go down, whatever it does. And it's just so peaceful. I just love it. And there's nothing wrong with it. But have you ever said, well, now I got to get back at it. It's over. It's over. Joy is never over. Happiness is over. It's not wrong to be happy. It's not wrong to be entertained. It's wrong when we think that entertainment 
is joy. And it really isn't. So enjoyment is not escape from boredom. It's engaging in the work of God. Find, a very smart man once said, find something you enjoy doing and you'll never work a day in your life. Right? I've, I haven't worked a day in my life. Well, I'm going to take that back. There's been a couple days. I worked today. Wasn't all that happy. But there was still joy. So we worship the Lord and look back at all that he's done. Look at where we are when we take the sacrament and we're forgiven. We look ahead to the promises of God. He's coming back. He's preparing a place for us in heaven. And after we do that worship, we go out and we serve. We love our spouse and our children and our grandchildren. And we love our neighbor. And what we do in life, we do to serve God and honor God as we care for other people. So the idea is that we part, you want joy, partner with God. I, I'm, Paul, I'm going to tell you what Carl Reisky said to me today. Really? No. <laughs> he said, boy, that Paul Seifert really enjoys being at the Milwaukee Rescue Mission. It was, I said, oh, that's really good. That's a joy word, enjoy. But it's, sometimes it's work, <laughs> Right? But you don't see it as work. Yeah. So Adam was called to work in the garden before he fell into sin. And he found joy in his work because he partnered with God. God said, here's a garden. I need you to partner with me. I need you to take care of it for me. You remember when you were a kid and you wanted to help dad do something? Right? My dad would hand me a bucket of water and a brush. Go paint the other side of the house. That would be a big help. Oh, I loved it. And then when I got to be old enough, hey, come on, let's go change the oil on the car. I'll show you how to clean the carburetor and set the points. And, and I loved it. I just loved it. This is how we are with God. That's joy. My dad just mentioned that the other day. He said, remember we did all of that stuff together? Wasn't that, wasn't that a good time? Yeah, it, it was. Joy is knowing that God works all things together for good of those who love him. Joy is telling the story of God's involvement in your life. That's joy. Uh, I had a, uh, an acquaintance who pitched for the brewers. And we were in the tunnel talking one day and and he, he was holding his two twins and he had his uniform on. He said, oh, man, I need help. I said, what, what's the matter? I got a Catholic youth organization that wants me to, to, to give my story, my Christian story. I don't have a story. I said, well, you're a Christian. Yeah, but I'm a Christian without a story. No Christian is without a story. No, 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 no. He said, you know, some of these guys, they tell stories about how they were like drugs and alcohol or they were lost and other found. I said, well... What about you? I grew up in a Christian home. We went to church. We went to Sunday school. My wife and I were high school sweethearts. We went to youth group. We got married. We went to church. We've got four kids. They're all baptized. We go to church. I said, hey, thanks for your story. Yeah, but it's not an entertaining story. No, you're right. But all those kids you're going to talk to started out the same way you did. Your story tracks their story. And their story tracks yours. Tell your story. 
that this is what joy is. It's telling the story. It's, it's, it's laughter, which again is confidence. Giggles is nervousness. We laugh because we have this confidence. So Romans 5, I read only part of it. The whole thing sounds like this. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. The NIV says, and hope does not disappoint us. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. That's our joy. We are one with God again. We are reconciled to God. That is the joy that we have. So St. Paul writes to the Philippians. And when he writes to the church in Philippi, he's in prison. He could be put to death. They're worried about him. And what does he say? Rejoice in the Lord when you're happy. When things are going your way. When your prayers are answered just the way you wanted them to be answered. Is that what he says? No. Rejoice in the Lord always. No matter what's going on. And then then he says, again, I will say rejoice. I can't say it enough. I I really have to nail this down. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's joy. Thanks for listening. If you want to learn more about First Emmanuel Lutheran Church, visit filministries.org. Have a good day, and God bless.